Now hear the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter two. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here. It's wonderful to be with you on the Lord's Day. Uh, it's also wonderful, if you didn't know, to have Sojourn Southside with us this morning, uh, gathering with us. It's really good to see you guys. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, we continue this morning, as Britt read in our study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today, Paul is... He's continuing the point that he's been making since the end of chapter one. He calls the church to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus, in a manner that is fitting of the grace that they have received and to the master that they serve. The Philippians' heavenly citizenship should be demonstrated in action. They must stand side by side firm and united in the truth of the gospel against their opponents and in contrast to the ethics and virtues of Roman citizenship. They are heavenly citizens living as Roman citizens. And last week, Paul put forth Christ as the example of the mindset and manner that we should follow. We live as heavenly citizens as we show humility <clears throat> in the way that we treat each other not seeking our own advantage or engaging in self-aggrandizement, all the things that our worldly society would prize. Instead, we are to empty ourselves 
and take concern for one another and pursue a loving unity together. And Paul is continuing that same encouragement. Out of that same encouragement, he continues in our text today. So let's read again. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. These verses have provoked a lot, of, a lot of tension and confusion in the life of the church. I, I mean, do you, do you feel that? Have you felt that? Yeah? I felt it too. When Paul mentions working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, our, I think our initial response might be one of fear or worry. Is Paul telling the Philippian church, is he telling us that we earn our salvation through our work? or that we need to work for our salvation? In a word, no. Working out our salvation is equivalent to living in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul wants to impress upon the Philippians the importance of entering into the fullness of salvation that they already have in Christ. He's not talking about their need to earn salvation, but about the need to live out the salvation that Christ has already given them. So Paul says, when I was with you, you you lived this way. You worked out your salvation. And now that I'm not with you, my hope is just that you would continue to live out those ways with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling is not not coming from some doubt of God's love towards them or from the possibility that God is looking to remove his grace from them as, as soon as they fail. Absolutely not. As we work out our salvation, we do so in reverence and trembling as those living in the presence of a holy God who himself by his spirit is at work in us for his good pleasure. God's grace is active within his people to enable us to both desire what is good, to desire what is excellent, and to do it. God is restoring us and enabling us to grow in heavenly living on earth. We are are heavenizing the earth. The church is heavenizing the earth in its living by the power of the Spirit. We mustn't receive his gifts in vain or treat his grace as something small. We must treat and pursue his grace seeking to enter into the fullest measure of it. I think, I think a word picture would, would help here. We are like a child who has been wonderfully delivered from the streets by being adopted into a rich and loving family. We get a new name, we get a new home, we get new family members. We are in the family already, we are saved, we're in the family. 
But as we live out that adoption, as we live in light of that new name, that new home, those new family members, as we learn from our parents, as we follow their teaching, as we love those in our family, as we serve those outside our family, as a result, the fullness and depth of being part of that family is both manifested and realized. It's both demonstrated and enjoyed. And here's an important bit. Paul is writing to a group. He's writing to a a church, not not just a a bunch of individuals. So the the working out has implications for the individual, but, but Paul writes this. This is ultimately a communal project. It's not each of you go work out your own personal intimate salvation on your own. It's, no, he says, Philippians, you, you work out your salvation together. God's goal is not just saved individuals. It's a redeemed community, a redeemed family, a redeemed city where we really live as one where we really are united. How do we do that? Let's keep reading. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Grumbling, disputing, children, blemished, a crooked and twisted generation. Paul knows what he's doing when he writes these words because all of these references are supposed to make us think about the wilderness generation in the time of Moses. In the book of Deuteronomy, in his his farewell address, Moses tells the Israelites that they will not enter the promised land, nor will they receive God's blessing. They have dealt so corruptly with God that that they're no longer his children. They're blemished, and they are a crooked and twisted generation, he calls them. So what's interesting in light of that is that that, that, that verse is, and that, and that instance is kind of in the background, and Jews would have known that. They would have been very familiar with this story in Deuteronomy. It's as though Paul, in these words, is echoing and inverting the words in Deuteronomy to show the Philippians that they aren't the wilderness generation. They are God's children, and they themselves are the ones who are living amidst a crooked generation. As they hold fast to the word of life, whatever suffering they endure, they do so from the land of promise, in the land of promise, in the family. Sojourn, we we are not another wilderness generation either. And as we hold fast to the word of life and live our, out our salvation, 
our salvation. We will be lights in a dark world. But because this working out is is a communal effort, we do, we really need to figure out among ourselves what our shared salvation looks like in practice. How are we going to live as a people, as a city, in this city? I'll use, I'll use another word picture. <laughs> I love word pictures. It's like we've been given a beautiful piece of land. Let's say, to, I don't know, a rich benefactor comes and says, Sojourn Heights, I'm giving you a piece of land and I want you to take care of it. I want you to see to its flourishing. I want you to make it even more beautiful than it is right now. How do we want to build on that land? What do we want to build? How do we want to care for it and shape it? What do we want to do with it? We could leave it alone, but, but why? <laughs> I read a number of commentaries describe working out your salvation as killing your sin. And I do believe that that is part of it. Just like I believe that part of keeping a good piece of land is making sure that it's regularly weeded. But that's not all you should do when you tend a garden. And that's not all you should do as you take care of a piece of land. We also want to plant things, to build things. We want to make sure that the land is good for our neighbors, not just us. And we also wanna maintain what is built, what is planted. Could be a vegetable garden, could be a fruit garden, could be a stand of beautiful trees, of oak trees, of apple trees, of all those together. (laughs) Beautifully diverse, wonderfully fruitful, and good food for every person who comes to it. Whatever we cultivate, we want it to be in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. We want to be a people as grateful as anyone to serve a king who is willing to take us into his care and make us a home, to treat us as a land that he is cultivating and making fruitful and wonderful and beautiful for the world. It makes us joyful builders, joyful gardeners. So where should we be working out our salvation as a church at Sojourn Heights? Where, where should we be working? How should we be doing this? Here, here are just a few thoughts, and it's not exhaustive by any means. Where we have besetting or secret sins in our lives, we should be working out our salvation there. Think about almost like, if you could just sort of envision that plot of land, like we need to do that over there and we need to do more of this over here and we need to take care of that part and this part needs more sun and this part needs more shade. If we have struggles with fear or despair or discouragement, we should be working out our salvation there. When we can welcome the poor, the orphan, the widow, our neighbors into the community, we should be working out our salvation there. 
where we can reconcile with a brother or sister from whom we're alienated, we should be working out our salvation there. Where our love for Christ is weak, we should be working out our salvation there. If we do not find joy in meditating upon the things of God, find no joy in his word, we should work out our salvation there. If our prayer life is lacking or missing, we should work out our salvation there. When you hear about the initiatives that the elders and members have been working out, see it as us working out our salvation here. And there are other places, so many other places, other places where we can work out our salvation, where we can build on the land we've been given. Kids of Sojourn, will you, just, will you give me your attention just for a second? I see Rose. Hey, Micah. Hey, Tallulah. Hey, Davey. Harper. Hey. I want you guys tonight in parish gathering, or this week with your parents or with your, or with your parish, I want you to ask this question. Where are we working out our salvation? Mommy, where are we working out our salvation? Daddy, where are we working out our salvation? Hey, hey, parish, where are we working out our salvation? Where are we working on the land together? And that's so big. Again, this is not individualistic, even though it will happen individually. It is us doing it together coming alongside and praying with one another when it's difficult to pray, studying the word together when we, we feel like we just can't get in it, reaching out to the poor and the orphan and the widow when we're prone to just ignore and keep moving forward. In the verses that remain in 19 through 30, Paul mentions two of his fellow workers Timothy and Epaphroditus. Concerning Timothy, Paul has no one like him, he says, who is genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church. He says, for, for all the others, they seek their own interests, not, not those of Jesus Christ. And concerning Epaphroditus, Paul says that he is a soldier worthy of honor, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. And I love, what, I love what Paul says about him. He says he's a brother, he's a fellow worker, he's a fellow soldier. And I just, in the, right in the middle of that, I think like, God, all three of those are pictures of who we are. Brothers and sisters, we're a, we're a family. Fellow workers, we are subcontractors in this building project. Fellow soldiers, we are in God's army, pushing back darkness in the world fighting against the principalities and powers of darkness. So, but, it, but in these verses, why is Paul telling us these things now? Why has he chosen now to say these things? It seems, it seems odd that he would mention Timothy and Epaphroditus at, at this moment. Because usually it's typical for Paul to, to come to this point, to, to, to sort of commend in this way. He usually commends at the end of his letter but right here, he takes 12 verses, which is 10% more than the total of all the verses in this letter, right in the middle, to mention these two men. But it does, even though it's odd, it, it gets even more strange the deeper we go. 
Paul's letter to the Philippians follows a chiastic structure. Bless you. (laughs) It follows a chiastic structure, which means that there is a basic symmetry to the letter. It's this there and back again structure. We can take a look at it together. So this this is the entire letter of Paul. And as you can see, the, the way a chiastic structure works is that you have portions that are mirroring one another. We begin the, the letter with joy and gratitude. We end the, the letter with joy and gratitude. And as you can see, each, per, each piece is either it's equal, it's match, or it's inverse in some way. It's answer almost. It's beautiful. Paul didn't do this by accident. <laughs> And, and even, even more important here is the strange thing about this chiasm is that Timothy and Epaphroditus are at the very center. That's what a chiasm is supposed to do. Not only show you all these beautiful mirrorings and echoings, almost like calls and response, it's awesome, but in version F, it's, it's, it's trying to draw our attention to this, hey, pay attention to the middle of this chiasm. It means that Paul's letter to the Philippians has been structured to, and designed to make Timothy and Epaphroditus the focus of attention. Now we might expect in a chiasm like this that the central position is, it should be for Christ or the gospel or perhaps even the Philippians, but it isn't. The entire structure is pointing to Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why? It's one thing for Paul to say, hey, you all go and have the mind of Christ. It's another thing for him to say, well, as you do that, just remember my example, follow my example. But it's a completely different thing for Paul to give, to give, to send two of his disciples as living testimonies to the point that he's trying to make. He is commending the faithfulness of these brothers because they embody the sort of life that Paul is talking about. They embody the outworking of salvation. In humility, Timothy counts others more significant than himself. Timothy looks not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. For the sake of Christ, Epaphroditus not only believes in Christ, but also suffers for his sake. In other words, these two men have the mind of Christ that Paul wants to commend to the Philippian church. He's like, I'm going to tell you, but then I'm also going to send people to show you, to help you, to do this with you, alongside of you. These two men are willing to be emptied for the sake of the church. These two men are willing to take the form of a servant. These two men are willing to be obedient even to the point of death. And not only does this reinforce the point that Paul is making, this is also the perfect way for Paul to confront the primary value system in Philippi. Because see, again, he's inverting the social hierarchy in a world full of self-promoting, of self-aggrandizing, of people jockeying for social position and positions of power and influence. Paul is elevating and promoting the people under him. And this means that Paul is practicing what he preaches. 
He too in this has the mind of Christ. He too considers others more significant than himself. One last thing. The centrality of of Timothy and Epaphroditus in this letter is also really good news for us. It means that we don't have to be martyred in order to have the mind of Christ. It means that we don't have to die on a cross in order to live a life worthy of commendation. We don't, it means that we don't have to plant churches all over the world in order to follow in Paul's footsteps. At the very heart of this letter, Paul is commending the humble service of two men who, who would otherwise be forgotten. Their service is quiet and humble. They're not in it for themselves. They were quietly pouring themselves out, and even when no one was there to see it, they kept on sacrificing for the good of others. Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate the daily kindnesses that we pay to each other and to others, that we pay to the children in our parish, that we pay to singles and marrieds in our parishes, to the kindnesses and giving that we that we embody with our neighbors and those who don't know Jesus, don't underestimate that. That is humble, good service that is a working out of our salvation. And in doing so, and in doing this, Timothy and Epaphroditus found joy. In doing this, Paul found joy. And in so doing, we will find joy as well. Sojourn, let us work out our salvation together. Let us build in humility and love. Let us sacrifice for the good of others. Let us pour ourselves out like drink offerings and living sacrifices as we do quietly and humbly, holding fast to the word of life. We will shine like lights in the world, displaying this truth to the world and welcoming them into it gladly. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you for for this word this morning, for your word this morning. Your encouragement to us. Lord, to know that we are in Christ. What a glorious reality, what a glorious truth that we have been invited into a wonderful family and we are learning every month, every year, every day what it's like to live in this family what it's like to live with a father like you. What it's like to live with brothers and sisters like this. Lord, would you help us? We need your help. Lord, to to build on the land that you've given us, to work out that salvation with joy, with fear, with trembling, knowing that you are a good God and knowing that you are a powerful God. Would you help us to be with the kind of people who know that this working out can, it can be done through quiet, humble acts of grace 
all over the land that you've given us. Would you give us eyes to see it? Would you give us courage and strength to continue? Help us to hold fast to the truth, to the word of life, to Jesus himself. Lord, would you make us this kinds of people? We look to you. We need you. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.